In speaking about renunciation, about letting go, I have mentioned a few ways of letting go based on our own choice, our intention. But there are further ways of letting go that rely on the training of the mind. So I want to share some of those with you because that's what we're doing here. The first is the work that we're doing mostly here of noticing our tendencies to obsess with some of the hindrances. When we get caught in our habits of aversion, of desire, of restlessness, of doubt, of dullness or laziness, and these are the hindrances. And, you know, even if we choose to say, well, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to be doubtful, I'm not going to be lazy, choice doesn't make that happen. You can't let go of obsessive, obsessive thinking. It's not that easy to just say, okay, let that go. So it takes a training of the mind. And what we're doing here is training the mind. We're paying close enough attention to expose the obsessing. And knowing that that's our choice now, is not to obsess, then we get to work with what we're holding on to. It's not the thing that we're desiring, the thing that we're averse to. It's the habit of indulging in aversion. It's the habit of indulging in doubt. It's the habit of indulging in desire. So to get a handle on them, of course, we pay attention, and they're torturous, aren't they? You know, when we get caught in some emotional drama and we're, we identify whatever it is, you can see how we'd like to be able to let it go, but we can't. Of course, if we didn't pay attention, we wouldn't know that we're obsessing. It's We have to know what we're obsessing about before we can let it go. If you don't know what you're hanging on to, you won't try to let it go. So, when I first went to my first retreat, uh, after studying engineering in college, where I took a lot of math courses, and that was back in the days when math was done by longhand pencil scratching and a slide rule. And so there was a lot of math in the head. You know, just doing you know, mathematical formulas, kind of mentally. So I went to my first retreat and, you know, trying as well as I could, not being very successful. When my mind wandered, it wandered into mathematical calculations. Like, I wonder what the cubic volume of this room is. Let's see, 22 by 2, 10 feet high, blah, 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 blah. You know, and, and I, my mind would be wandering off into some calculation and I'd wake up and I'd say, uh, do I need to be doing this right now? <laughs> of course I didn't. But it was a habit of mind that I didn't know I had. Until I started paying attention to, mindfully to what's going on. Well, you've, you've also discovered such things. Habits of mind that you might have known you had, but you didn't realize how tenacious they were. Now you get to work with them. Now you get to see them. But a lot of our practice takes place right here, where we have enough mindfulness to see what we're obsessing about, 
but we don't have enough wisdom to let go. And that's where practice takes place. And so it's, it's torturous, it's, it's a lot of suffering. And yet we know that there's benefit to putting aside all of these obsessing. And when we do, and this is the benefit of renunciation, or this is the benefit of letting go of obsessing, when we do, when the mind is able to do its work unhindered, meaning the continuity of mindfulness really picks up, and the hindrances and the torments just don't get a chance to come in because there's this continuity of mindfulness, the mind takes great delight. And the kind of delight that the mind takes is not the delight in the experience, it's the delight in the mind being unhindered. And so even if you're observing pain, the mind is still delighted. I know that sounds kind of paradoxical, but when the mind can do its work unhindered, meaning the continuity is great enough that the hindrances aren't getting into the mind, then the mind gets delight. And this is called piti, joy. It ranges anywhere from interest, zest, to uh, ecstasy. I mean, pass out ecstasy for hours. That's, that's a kind of happiness. That's a kind of joy that's hard to get through sensual pleasure. You get a little hit, you know, whether it's a concert or sex or drugs or whatever, you get a little hit. But when it's just with the purity of your own mind for hours, it's really something to pay attention to. And that's just the beginning. That's just the doorway. That's the doorway high of meditation. There's better things ahead. You know, joy eventually gets to be pretty gross. And if you keep practicing, you kind of settle into bliss, which is smoother, softer, pleasanter for equally long length of time. And it eventually gets to equanimity, which is even not so joyful, not so blissful, but it's much more stable. What's wrong with that? Well, the only thing is, we get attached to that stuff. <laughs> but in the meantime, we've let go of the obsessing mind to get this happiness of well, let's just call it spiritual goodies. You know, bliss, joy, ecstasy, you know, clarity, confidence, you know, all those things that we'd like to have all the time. Okay. But when we see them, we enjoy them. Okay. How do we get there? By letting go of obsessing. But now, as soon as they have arisen in our practice, we attach to them. So here we are, hanging on again. Now we like our tranquility. We like our joy. We like our bliss. We like our clarity. We like our whatever whatever you like about your practice. When you have, how do you know you have a good sitting? Well, because you're indulging in it. Calm, clear, confident, enjoyable. Right? We know when we have a good sitting because we want it again. That's called attachment. That's called hanging on. So, the, the next way of practicing letting go is when we get to experience these, uh, the results of good practice, the spiritual goodies, we feel gratified. We feel really rewarded in our practice. 
And we take a lot of satisfaction in ourself and our practice with these kind of experiences. That's what we have to let go. That's baggage. Feeling gratified with these kind of spiritual goodies is baggage. It'll hold you back from progressing in your practice. And so it is a challenge. It's a challenge for me as a teacher. When you're indulging and reveling in your tranquility, your samadhi, whatever, you know, whatever it is, to try to get you to let go. And you can say, I, I, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, but you're still looking for it next time. <laughs> I know. I, I did that months. It's kind of like hanging in there. And it's not until we, until we kind of remember how we got there. We got there by letting go, just seeing and letting go of everything. Seeing and letting go of everything. Whatever it was. Whatever we were obsessing about. Seeing it, let it go. See it, let it go. See it, let it go. Same thing, same practice with these spiritual goodies. See it, feel it, let it go. Watch this mind that says, I like this, I want this. This is really good. I'm doing really good. I want more of it. This is better than it was before. Any of those ways of relating to these spiritual goodies is attachment. Baggage. And so this practice is, it's a transition in practice, really, to let go of all of these uh, scenic turnouts on the road. We call them scenic turnouts on the road. They're going to come. They're going to they're come. You keep practicing, you're going to have them, and they're going to, they're going to, they're going to get big and powerful and noticeable, and you will definitely get attached to them, if not already. And you have to let go of them. Meaning, you don't have to push them away, you don't have to judge them as bad, <clears throat> you just have to stop feeling gratified when they arise. And that's not easy. We like the feeling of gratification. So, but happiness is not gratification on the hedonic treadmill, even if it's a spiritual treadmill, but rather happiness is a sense of well-being. Now, a sense of well-being is not always pleasant. A sense of well-being can stabilize even if the present moment experience is unpleasant. That's the difference between happiness of sense pleasure, happiness of spiritual goodies, and happiness as a sense of well-being. Okay, so when we continue our practice and we're able to, well, let those spiritual goodies go without taking a sense of gratification in them, then the mind becomes more stable. And the stability of the mind is in equanimity. Equanimity is the non-reactive space of the mind, where whether it's pleasant, no attachment, if it's unpleasant, no aversion, and the mind settles into a quiescent, but aware place. This too is, well, it's not the, it's not the kind of delight, it's not the joy, there's no joy and there's no delight, and yet it is a, not quite peaceful, but it's a subtle state of mind. But it is here at equanimity where the three characteristics of three insights become most powerful. Now, the three insights, the three insights of the Vipassana practice are insight into impermanence, 
the insight into the dukkha characteristic, the unsatisfactoriness, and the insight into the anatta characteristic, or the conditionality. And the way they happen is when we are, when the mind is seeing moment-to-moment experience, physical and mental, whatever it is, moment-to-moment, and it's not reaching for, and it's not withdrawing from anything, then the mind is equanimous. Then the mind sees not only the experience, you know, the, the taste, the flavor of this mental state or this emotion or this feeling or this thought or whatever. We taste that, but also the mind sees, or I should say realizes, these three characteristics. So when the mind realizes impermanence, it realizes the uh, anicca, impermanent characteristic of this experience, then it sees that, you know, this thing that I'm observing, this experience, it doesn't last. It just comes, it goes. Whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, there's no enjoyment in the pleasant, there's no aversion to the unpleasant. It's just, oh, this is the way it is. It just comes into being, it's there for a taste, and then it leaves. Now, when the mind realizes that, it doesn't hang on. It doesn't cling, it doesn't grasp, because there's, it's not there long enough to grasp. You don't even want it back, because you're not indulging in it if it's pleasant, you're not averse to it if it's unpleasant. This kind of letting go through realizing impermanence is like this. Suzuki Roshi says, true renunciation is not giving up the things of this world, but in knowing that they go away. We don't have to give it up. We don't have to push it away. We don't have to torture ourselves in some ascetic discipline. If we just realize they go away anyway and let them go, this is true renunciation. That kind of happiness depends on the clarity of our understanding or our realization. Or when we see the dukkha characteristic. Now, dukkha, I haven't spoken about it too much in this speak, uh, but dukkha means pain, obvious pain, physical pain, mental pain. It means the insecurity and, and vulnerability we feel because things change, and even though things are going well now, we can't be sure they're going to keep going well. We have good health, but we don't know if we're going to have it later. Our finances are secure, but for now... And so we live with this tentative, kind of conditional happiness, knowing that things can change quickly. And no matter what we have accumulated to rely on for our happiness and pleasure, it's vulnerable to change. Well, that's dukkha. There's no satisfaction in that which is subject to change, unavoidably, actually. And so when we see that, We're not going to reach for it. We're not going to grasp. We're not going to hang on too tight to anything. It's sometimes also oppressive. I should should mention the third characteristic of dukkha is that sometimes things are just oppressive. There's just so much stimulation of the sense doors. It's just endless, constant, you know, life events to be dealt with. And it's just like... So, when we realize the dukkha characteristic, that this experience is either painful, it's unstable, or it's oppressive. The mind isn't going to hang on to anything. 
like that. When you know that something is painful, you don't want to hang on, or it's oppressive. You want to get a, you, you don't want to hang on to that either. Or if it's just unstable and not reliable, you don't grasp it, you don't hold on to it. And so the mind realizes through the dukkha characteristic to let go. It learns to let go. It learns to let things be. Just let them come, let them go, don't hang on. This is a form of renunciation through insight into the unsatisfactory nature of phenomena. The Buddha, when asked, said, I teach dukkha and the end of dukkha. That's it. That's the Buddha's baseline teaching. That's his rock-bottom goal in life, if you will. Teaching in life is, this is dukkha or leads to dukkha. This is not dukkha or leads to the end of dukkha. That's it. When you have that as your parameter of evaluation in life, life gets really simple. Nessa Rappaport put it this way. This is the teaching of suffering, if you allow it. It's as if in a great stroke, in one great stroke, the world you occupy divides itself into here's what matters, everything else not. If it's suffering, that's what matters. Everything else goes by the wayside. Realizing dukkha really keeps life simple. If we dare to, if we can realize it, and if we dare to acknowledge it. Then the anatta characteristic is seeing how ephemeral, how evanescent, how conditioned everything that we experience is. It is like a rainbow. This moment's experience, pleasant or unpleasant, is like a colorful rainbow that arrives in the sky due to conditions. Moisture, sunlight, the angle of viewing, and there's the rainbow. But that rainbow has no substance. There's really no essence to it. It's just a colorful appearance due to a conjunction of conditions. Everything in our life is just like that. Every experience of our life, of this body, of this mind, of the past, of the future, is just a momentary appearance due to impersonal conditions. What is there in that to hold on to? Nothing. Nobody reaches for a rainbow. Nobody picks up a rainbow to package it and send it somewhere. Right? We can enjoy the rainbow, while it's there, no problem. We can enjoy the experiences of life. While they're there, no problem. But don't hang on. There's nothing, there's nothing there to hold on to. When you realize this, this is a realization. It's not a seeing with eyes. It's a realization that this is the way things are. And when you realize that, you don't have to struggle to let go. You realize there's nothing to hold on to. And so there's quite naturally a renunciation, a letting things be from understanding their nature. This kind of these kinds of understanding, these kind of realizations are powerful. You know, but they're not you, you don't you don't choose to let go because of dukkha. You don't choose to let go because of impermanence. It's like when you realize it and to train the mind in insight is to approach these realizations. A little bit, a little bit, a little bit at a time. 
makes it easier to let go. See, all of this world as a star at dawn, a bubble in the stream, a flash of lightning in a summer cloud, a flickering lamp, a phantom in a dream. The Diamond Sutra. See, all of this world is nothing more substantial than a bubble in a stream, a phantom, a dream. And who holds on to that? Quite automatically, the understanding, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. There's one more letting go, one more renunciation that happens to the development of the mind. When the mind is equanimous, when the mind is realizing these three characteristics of every, one of these characteristics with every moment's experience, the mind doesn't reach for anything. It recognizes everything. It realizes their nature, but it doesn't hold on. It's at that time, when that is mature, that the mind may fall into the unconditioned or leap to the unconditioned. Some say leap to the unconditioned, some say fall into the unconditioned. But the unconditioned is the end of all that suffering. It's a reality that can be perceived, but it has no size, no shape, no color, no duration, no texture, nothing that can be felt, but it can be known. And this is letting go of the known, letting go of all known things, to realize Nibbana. It is the only realization that is unconditioned. Everything else is conditioned, except Nibbana. It's a reality. Only possible through letting go. So, as Ajahn Chah says, so let go. Put everything down. Everything except the knowing. Don't be fooled if visions and sounds, likes and dislikes arise in your mind during meditation. Just put them all down. Don't think a lot. Just know, this is the way things are right now. Right now, nobody can help me. Nobody can help you. There is nothing your family or your possessions can do for you. All that can help you now is the correct awareness. So don't waver. Let go. This is the practice and the joy of renunciation through developing the mind, through training the mind. And as the Buddha said, it is, and it reveals the happiness that is greater. So those who are wise seek these happiness, the happiness of pleasure, the happiness of, you know, uh, a sense of abundance, and your humanity through practice and generosity, the happiness of harmlessness or no regret from practicing sila, the happiness of tranquility through putting aside the obsessing mind, the uh, joy, the bliss, and the equanimity that comes through developing insight, the happiness of realizing three characteristics and letting go, and the happiness of the unconditioned. 
It's hard for us to imagine, really. And yet, it's so clear that sense pleasures, it's, happy, it's happiness. But it's not that kind of happiness. The kind of well-being that comes from the knowledge of letting go. That's what we're doing here. We're on this path. It's available to us if we train the mind. So let's sit for a moment and let these words settle into the heart. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.